Thank you, Lord. Well, Lord, we pray for your blessing over today. Just wait another moment. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Spirit, come. Minister to us today. We're here for you. We're here for Jesus. So we're in the we're in the Christmas season. And as a result of that, we're going to be taking the next few weeks to be talking about texts specifically uh, regarding Christmas. Now, normally what we do, and we're going to get back to this as soon as January comes, we're going to take a book of the Bible, and then we spend five years in it. <laughs> Generally not that long, but we do take a long time to go through it. We're going to take one of the minor prophets, work our way through that, and then go from there and see where the Lord uh, would lead us. But here we are uh, in the Christmas uh, season. And there's a, there's a unique difference, even in the atmosphere, in, in our culture, than there used to be. And there are certain things that can really ruin Christmas. We've gotten to the point in our culture where we're going through the motions, but we're missing the substance of the whole thing. And so it feels empty. There are even people who are know the story of Christmas, uh, the true story to some extent, and yet they're going through this holiday season and they're feeling empty. It's like a facade. It's going through, okay, we got to get the presents and we got to sing the songs and we got to eat the, eat the turkey and everything else, but something just doesn't feel right. In fact, sometimes people are like, if we can only just make it through these, through these days and just get back to, back to our regular, uh, regular life, that would be better. And so there's this, there's this feeling of, uh, there's this feeling of uh, going through the motions, going through the motions, going through the cycle, but not really understanding the substance of, of this season. Oh, how many people there are like this. And this will ruin the holidays. In fact, there are people that are fighting with one another over gifts, fighting in stores. The stress level is high. And it's almost like going to an opera. And everybody comes into the theater. They all sit down to listen to the singer sing. Everybody's there. There's a thousand people there. There's the stage, the lights. The opera singer comes out, and she begins to sing, and she loses her voice. And yet the people will sit there for two hours just watching her as she tries to mouth these words. That's kind of what Christmas has become. We're all watching. We're all doing the seemingly right things, but there's no power. And there was a time even in our nation where it was special 
was special. It was, let's get together. This is about the Lord. This is, this is about giving gifts, but giving gifts are in the name of Jesus. And Jesus is the one who makes things special. It's not that I charge my credit card for $2,000 to make some kids happy. That's not what it was about. We read stories of kids getting just small gifts and being happy and a rather modest meal. But it was about family. And it wasn't about a, a drinking party. And uh, how fast people can get drunk. It was special. And so the, the, the desire here in this church is to go, well, what made it special and what happened? One of the things that can really ruin Christmas is evolution. If people believe that we have descended from apes, from monkeys, then it's really hard to get into the Christmas spirit. Because if you believe that, that that's how we descended. You come in, you hear the story, and you're like, well, how does this all how does this all figure out with evolution and Jesus? And so people are coming in and they're saying, Well, we don't even believe any of this God stuff. Listen, there are there are kids who have come into this church. I've talked with them. I don't believe any of this. Listen, if you don't believe any of this, Christmas isn't going to be that special. It's going to be like watching that opera singer, nothing's coming out. We're just going through the motions, just doing our, our annual thing, and nobody really knows why we're doing it. We're, we're singing songs and giving gifts and all that, but it's really not that special at all. And then we talk about different fairy tales. And to tell kids that Santa is actually coming, the emphasis often becomes on Santa and that he's really coming and he's going to, to give gifts. Listen, that's all a myth. You want to know another myth? Evolution. Evolution is another myth. In fact, there was a professor who was not a Christian. And he said this. He said, evolution is a fairy tale for adults. This, this theory has helped nothing in the progress of science, he said. It is useless. Evolution is the, the greatest hoax. It is the greatest scam of our generation. You sit down and you talk with somebody and people say, well, it's a matter of fact, it's settled science. All the smart people say it. All the professors say it. But nobody knows how to explain it. You ever sit down with somebody and ask them, no, wait a second, I'm trying to understand how this whole thing works. I really want to understand what's going on here. I'm not just trying to, I'm not just trying to stir the pot here, but I'm really trying to understand, okay, you're saying that we, we all descended from this goop, a single organism, and eventually became uh, uh, an animal, and then over time a monkey, and monkeys propagated, and all of a sudden here we are. How does this actually work? Can you explain it to me? Can you point us to specific evidence of, uh, of instances of macroevolution, of one species actually changing into another species. We're not talking about small microevolution within, within certain life forms. 
We're actually talking about one life species changing into another life species. Can you, can you point us to clear evidence of that? And I can't tell you how many people I've talked to, really smart people. And as soon as you begin to talk uh, about this issue with them, they say, well, it's settled science. Okay, it's settled science. Well, all the professors say it. People at Harvard say it. Stanford say it. People around the world know this is just absolute factual stuff. This is just the way it is. Yeah, but explain to me how this works. See, we as Christians would never get away with that. We say, well, just, just a matter of fact. Here, let me just thump you over the head with my Bible. In fact, we have a whole name for that. We have Bible thumpers. But that's not what we do in this church. We don't just say, here, believe what we're saying because the Bible says it. Now thump over, over the head. Now, now there you go. You better get it. That's not how it works. There has to be an explanation. There has to be reason. There has to be evidence that God crashed down into history. That the divine actually speaks into this world's existence. And then he actually spoke the very world into existence. And so we reason with each other. But not in the evolutionary camp. So you'll sit there and you'll ask. You'll ask for evidence and you'll ask in vain. And finally, maybe you'll get this kind of illustration. But you kind of, you kind of leave the conversation just, uh, just scratching your head. But listen, that will really ruin Christmas if you believe that. If that's what you believe, if that's what you think. I heard someone recently say, he goes, come on. He goes, really, a talking snake? You really believe that? World created in six literal days? You really believe that? Answer, yes. Do you believe in talking monkeys? Well, I guess so. At some point, you would have to have some kind of communication. But, of course, it just breaks, it just breaks down into the absurd. And there's a mockery with this whole thing. Listen, so what we are saying is, we are not saying as Christians, we are trying to, we are trying to buy evolution and um, all that that entails, we just buy it because that's settled science. We come in, we say, okay, we buy that. And over here, we also buy Christianity and we're trying to figure out how to fit little Jesus in the manger into the story with that. We have no clue. And so families, kids are growing up in the church. They're becoming apostates. They're leaving the church by the droves. They're leaving. But somebody said they're not leaving from anything because they're not being taught anything. They come into church and they hear a story about Jesus, but it's all in very obscure terms. It's just hype. Two keys about how to live a better life, and then they leave out the door. They have no reason to believe anything. So they reach the age of 18, 19, 20 years old, and they're going, well, this is settled science, and nobody in the church even seems to take this thing seriously, so maybe I'll just walk out the door. And so it's those people who walk out the door who are still trying to celebrate Christmas, but Christmas doesn't really mean anything. It's just become this secular holiday. But there was a time when Christmas meant something. 
Another thing that will ruin Christmas is ignorance. Not really understanding what actually happened 2,000 years ago. I think, if I remember right, it's like, it's like totally like, about like, uh, totally like, like. That's like the word today, like. It's like. It's like about a baby and I think there's some wise men and stuff. And that's it. And I remember the time when we drank some hot chocolate and we, we had this thing where we all dressed up. Listen, if ignorance is the factor, Christmas also won't be that special this year. So if it's just a facade, if there's really a, a belief, an underlying belief that says, I don't even believe any of this stuff. Listen, the reason we are here is because the word of God is clear, it's precious, it's true, and everything that it says, everything that it declares, it is righteous and it is perfect and it is just. And we are here to get our souls fed. We are here to hear the voice of God. We don't just say we're trying to fit all these stories together, Santa and evolution and Jesus and we're all just trying to mix them together and out comes this thing that nobody likes. No, no, we're saying this. We're saying Jesus is the truth. Listen, and evolution is categorically wrong. It's wrong. And so what we're saying is in order to get into the Christmas spirit this year, we have to reject this and say that's, that's not what it's about. And there's no way to mix this there's no way to mix this with that. And so that's the beginning. And so we begin to climb out of, of our ignorance. But the Christmas story actually starts before time. It starts before space. It starts before the beginning of this universe. And it starts with God. Now, it's interesting, John here starts with this. He starts with God. So the Christmas story starts with God, but it's not a generic God. There are lots of people who say, I believe in God. I believe in God. I mean, I kind of believe in that stuff too, but I also believe there's something out there. I think there's a force or something, higher power, being, whatever, out there, I think. But the Bible doesn't leave us in our ignorance. It doesn't say, well, um, as long as you just believe in God, uh, something that's out there, that's okay. People say, well, they're going to get to heaven, even if they were never really trying to be a good person. They're going to get to heaven at least because they believed in God. And scripture comes and says, look, it's not good enough just to believe in God. Everybody believes in God. Romans chapter 1 says it's very clear. Every person here believes in God. Now we suppress the truth, but every person believes in God. The question is, which God? The question is, is it the only God? Is it the true God? Who is he? What is his identity? And so the, the Christmas story actually starts in John chapter 1. So it's interesting. John goes before time. Mark starts with Jesus as an adult. Matthew and Luke uh, start with Jesus as a baby. 
But before we get to him being a baby, we actually have to look at him being eternal. And so we start the Christmas story not with him coming and being born of a virgin. We'll get there. But we start the Christmas story in John chapter 1. So why don't you open up your Bibles with me to John chapter 1, verse 1. This is his identity. So what John is saying, look, you want to have a good Christmas. Listen, everyone. You want to have a good Christmas this year. You have to know the identity of God. You have to know who he is. Not just good enough to say God's out there, but the reason that John is writing is to give us a specific identity to God so that we know exactly who he is. So let's make this very clear. We're going to have a good Christmas uh, this, this year. We're all going to have a good Christmas. And by the way, thank the Lord. I was thinking this before church and this week. Listen, we have a group of people here, and there's churches all over this area. There's churches all over America and all over, all over the world that are holding on tenaciously to the gospel. People from different denominations, different groups, different, different people that love Jesus. And that say, we know the reason. Well, let's use the cliche. We know the reason for the season. We know it. And so there's a, there's a group here of, of a small group, but it's a, it's a precious group nonetheless. And you love Jesus. That's why you're here today. And the prayer is if you don't know Jesus and you've walked in here, that you would sense his power and you'd say, I, I need Jesus today. I, I realize that he's calling me today. I, I want him. I want to I receive him. We're going to talk about that in a moment. But we're going to win. The truth wins. We might not see it right now in our lifetime. And our prayer is that um, we would see a revival you know how many people are hurting? You know how many people are leaving the church? Do you, do you know how many churches are closing down and how? Why? Because there's a darkness that has crept in. And so there's a remnant, though, that is saying, Lord Jesus, bring revival. Impress these truths on our heart. Bring us back to the word of God. Bring us back to the scripture. Bring us back to the things of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, move among us fresh in this congregation. And so we hold on to these dear truths uh, tenaciously because we know that they're true. And to know that they're true, we've got to know God. And to know God, we have to know his identity. And so in John chapter 1, it says this, in the beginning was the word, logos. Now, the logos in the Greek world was this impersonal principle that ruled everything. The Greeks didn't know God. But they looked out at the universe and they saw that there was reason and order and uh, structure to things. And they said, what is it that is, the Greeks said, what is it that is holding everything together? Sometimes they called it a mind. What is it that is giving everything reason in our universe? There seems to be a oneness to the whole universe. And they called that the Logos. But that's not what John is necessarily speaking about here. His backdrop is the word of God. The word logos simply means word. It's how we express ourselves. How do we express ourselves? We express ourselves through words. So if we want to get something across, 
Well, we can use body language and try to get something across to people. But the primary way that we express ourselves is through talking, through speaking. So if we go to an opera or we go to hear a sermon and the guy gets up there to speak and he's just mouthing things, we're not getting any communication and he or she is not adequately expressing themselves. And so John is using that uh, logos here in terms of the word, this expression, the way that we express ourselves. That's what he's talking about. In the beginning was the word. I want you to turn with me to a couple of passages in the Bible that talk about God expressing himself through words. So he would, he would speak to his prophets and his prophets would speak out words. So God would come to his prophets, God would come to his people, and he would speak to them, and then they would go back, and sometimes they would write it down, and this is why we have the things that we do, we have it in the Bible. He has expressed himself through words, and he has done that over and over again. Go with me to Isaiah chapter 55. Isaiah chapter 55. Isaiah chapter 55. Verse 10, Isaiah chapter 55, verse 10. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. Here it is, verse 11. So shall my word. This is the backdrop against what John is talking about, so shall my word, these words that are coming out of his mouth, this expression of God, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose <clears throat> and shall succeed in the things for which I sent it. God expresses himself through words. Look with me at Psalm chapter 107. Psalm chapter 107. Psalm chapter 107. Verse 20. Psalm chapter 107. Verse 20. Let's get back to verse 19 just to give us a little context. Psalm chapter 107, verse 19. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. Here it is, verse 20. He sent out his word and healed them. How did he heal them? He sent out his, he sent out his word and delivered them from their destruction. So John is taking this, this expression, and he's going to give us the highest expression of God. He's going to show us how God reveals himself at his very pinnacle. He has expressed himself through words, and he's going to express himself in a way that has never happened before in all of history. And so John is writing, John is writing this at the end of the first century, and he says this, go back with me to John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. Now if you go down to verse 14, we know that this, this Word he is talking about 
is the eternal son. And so he's using this language to talk about Jesus, the son of God. And what he is telling us is this, that the highest expression, the way that God expresses himself most clearly and most beautifully is through his son, Jesus Christ. Now, his son had not always put on flesh. There was always existing this one God existing as three persons. And so John is telling us that before time even began, there existed this triune God. And God was not sitting up in heaven lonely and saying to himself, well, I'm so bored up here and I I just wish that I had somebody to talk to. That's not how God worked. Listen, God is complete and he's perfect. He's in need of nothing. And this God that he is talking about has always existed as a trinity. There was, a never, there was never a time when this triune God did not exist. He has always existed. So listen, there is one God and there are three persons. There is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the Father has always existed, always. So you think about this. The Son has always existed. Not the S-U-N in the sky, but the Son of God has always existed. He existed before Abraham Lincoln. He existed before the Reformers in the 1500s. The Son of God existed. He existed back to the early days of church history. He existed then. Listen, he's always existed. He existed in the days of the pharaohs. The Son of God was there. He existed in the Old Testament. He existed before there was anything. Before this universe even came into existence, the Son of God was already existing and had always existed. This is, a, this is a primary problem with the cults. They come and they say, oh, yeah, yeah, we believe in Jesus. He's a son of God. We believe he's a son. You know, there's a, there's a point in time where he came into, into being. And that's not what the scripture says. The scripture says the father has always existed and the son has always existed. He didn't always have flesh. He wasn't always a man. He wasn't always a baby, but he existed. He was a person. And the Holy Spirit has always existed. They are eternal. They have no beginning and no end. Now, you and I are not eternal. Sometimes we talk about we're going to have eternal life. Really, we're going to have everlasting life. That is, we're going to have life without end. But you and I had a very definitive beginning. In fact, in this church we just celebrated nine months ago, a couple babies coming into existence, and then this past week, and by the way, the reason we say that is because a baby is a human at the moment of conception. And uh, this past week, we got to see one come into this world. And what a beautiful little fella he is. And now we have another one. And by the way, both mamas in church before their birth, that's like awesome. That's incredible. Bravo to you mamas. I'll tell you what, us dads, we just stand there and just watch and go, very interesting. Wow, that's good. All right, way to go. Way to go. I just cheered my wife on, you know, just standing there. I remember my wife always wanted ice. So I'm standing there at the bedside just trying to give her ice. But I really didn't have a lot of pain at all. I was just kind of 
I was just kind of there. I was just kind of there. But these children have um, very definitive beginnings. But Jesus Christ, as the Son of God, unlike the cults say, he never had a beginning. He has been there not just for a thousand years or two thousand years or six thousand years or ten thousand years. The Son of God had no beginning. And that's what John is telling us. The Christmas story begins in eternity past. The Christmas story begins with this one God existing as three persons. So it says, in the beginning was the word just existing. He's there. But he's not bored. He has this eternal fellowship with the triune God. I want you to turn with me to John chapter 17. You say, well, Jacob, how are we going to get through 14 verses in the next five minutes? We're not. So we're going to get through this verse, and then we're going to close for the day. Okay? Um, so Jesus Christ, as the Son of God, before he put on flesh, he's existing. Uh, John chapter 17, go with me there to John chapter 17, uh, verse 5. John chapter 17. Verse 5. Now this is Jesus praying. He's praying in this high uh, priestly prayer, John chapter 17. And he says this, And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory. Now notice what he says here. With the glory I had with you before what? Before the world began or before the world existed. Jesus is saying, Father, here it is, right here. So John is very clear. He's, he's very clear with us. Jesus was there in the beginning. The Son of God was there, and he was with the Father. What were they doing? Well, they were having fellowship. They had wonderful fellowship. And listen, perfection needs nothing. He wasn't sitting in heaven going, I'm so bored, or what, what am I supposed to do? No, no, that's not why he created us. He created us so that we could know him, that we could love him, that we could rejoice in him, that we could worship him, that we could glorify him. That's the reason he created us. So now I close with this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with the God. That means the Son of God was with the Father. You have the Father and the Son. Now notice what it says here. And the Word was God. Where does it say in the Bible that Jesus is actually God? People ask that question. Where does it say Jesus is God? Here's, here's a text right here. Because it says in John chapter 1, verse 14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Where does it say Jesus is God? Right here. The word was with God and the word was God. Let me uh, have us flip to just a couple of verses here. John chapter uh, 1, verse 1 says that. We can also go to Romans chapter 9. Romans chapter 9. Romans chapter 9. By the way, I love how the uh, ESV translates uh, this verse. Some translations are a little different. I think this nails it here. Uh, Romans chapter 9, verse 5, it says this. To them belong the patriarchs. He's talking about Israel. And from their race, so from Israel comes all the fathers, patriarch is father. According to the flesh is the Christ. Notice what it says next. Who is God over all. Blessed forever. Amen. What's it saying here? Jesus Christ is God. So we have John chapter 1 says it. 
Um, Romans chapter 9 says it. We could go to a bunch of different places. Let's go to one more place, uh, Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 7. Now, he's going to distinguish here between the angels and Christ. Now, notice what he says in verse 7. He says, of the angels, this is God the Father talking. He says, he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. But notice what the Father says about the Son. Notice what the Father says about the Son of God who we're talking about. He says, but of the Son, he says, your throne what? Oh, God. What is the Father calling the Son? The Father is calling the Son here. He's calling him God. The Father is saying to the Son, but your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. So if we're going to get the Christmas spirit, We've got to get God right. And to get God right, we've got to know his son. And we've got to get the son's identity right. That's what John 1 is telling us. And to get his identity right, we've got to realize that he was with God in the beginning. And mystery of all mysteries, he is also fully God. So we want to get we want to get we want to get into the Christmas spirit here this year. It starts with the identity of Jesus Christ. That he's eternal, he was with the Father and he's fully God. Listen, Jesus isn't part God. He's not kind of just like God. He's not in the category of a godlike figure. He's not a son of God. He's the unique eternal son the only one, and he's the eternal God. And if we're going to get it right, we've got to start there. So we go back, we go back before the manger, and we go back into eternity past, and we say, Jesus Christ, we, we worship you. We recognize who you are, and we come, we bring, we bring our, our understanding, and we realize that this verse, this verse alone devastates, listen, it devastates evolution. There's a choice. It kills it. That's why we started with that, because you can't believe in both. And so the word of God speaks right into our lives and says, we're either going to believe the truth or we're going to believe, as that unsaved professor said of biology, we're going to believe a fairy tale. That's the question we have today. Would you stand with me as we close in prayer? We'll try to get to the next 13 verses next week, okay? All right. We got through one today. How's that? Praise the Lord. Christmas is coming. Father, we thank you. If I could welcome the band, you guys can come right on up. Thank you. Father, thank you for this day. We thank you for your power. We thank you that Jesus Christ is the unique Son of God. Lord, we, we grab onto your identity. So if we want to have a special Christmas this year. We start out with your identity. Who is Jesus? Jesus, you would ask us that question. Who do you say that I am? Some say a prophet, a good man, a teacher, rabbi. But you come to us and you speak clearly and you say, 
You declare yourself, I am that I am. You're Yahweh, you're God. And so today we thank you that whenever you come and we see who you are, we already start to feel the Christmas spirit because you are the one who brings it. And so we worship you today. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen.